0: So welcome my name is Ansis. i'm ceo of cocoon here's also christo can you wave so the people see who you are I'm recording christo is the uh ceo of cocoon and here's also yair he's uh, miros startup program manager hi Jair.
1: hi hello nice to meet you all
0: so um what are we going to speak about today um, i have chosen uh, the topic of relationships Once in uh, one YouTube video, I heard the interesting story that uh, the idea is that you can make your mess your message. And when I was reflecting what is my mess, then relationships has been one of the messiest areas in my life. So that's uh, no surprise that I've chosen to speak about relationships today. Uh, uh, Christo will uh, join me with the practical demos a bit later, and then Jair will speak from his perspective. And the time frame today is approximately 90 minutes that we are going to work together. So, speaking about relationships, I will cover three parts. First, I will talk uh, very briefly about the effect that non-working relationships can put on uh, business. Um, second, I will talk mostly today about causes that create relationship tensions and challenges. And third, we will go through three solutions, and for two of them, Me and Christo, we will also practically show as a demo. And uh, parallelly also, uh, we will do some collaboration in uh, practical exercises. Um, I invite you all to collaborate there as well. Um, Before I go into um, the uh, relationships part, uh, just a couple of sentences about who we are uh, to give the context and perspective. So um, uh, as I said, I'm from Cocoon. And Cocoon is a 12-months, personal growth program designed by two unicorn founders and it is mostly for scale-up founders to lead the company to unicorn status and the value for clients comes mostly from working with a team of mentors and other founders together so it's something that cannot be achieved in solo work and we also have invested in several our participants now more than 30 startups investments so okay back to the relationships first of all What are the uh, problems, uh, effects of when relationships are not going well? Um, I will very briefly mention just a few of them. First of all, I think uh, uh, it is a waste of time. Uh, Maybe you have experienced, I have definitely experienced waste of time in uh, angry Slack chats, WhatsApp chats and phone calls or uh, wasteless uh, meetings. Second, uh, which is uh, maybe not so easy to notice, but uh, very important is that we lose opportunities. Uh, What I mean with that is that uh, when uh, two or three or four co-founders talk together, and if the relationship is good, then together we can give birth to new ideas. There's this thing called groupthink and group creativity, which is uh, rather inhibited if there are problems in the relationships. And third is the ripple effects. And ripple effects I see are threefold. Usually, first of all, it goes to the team. The team feels that something is not all right uh, between the co-founders and it, it decreases engagement and productivity. Second, clients feel that because it's impossible that the, the team can, wouldn't uh, uh, give it further on. And finally, also this can scare away investors, because if you talk, uh, sit at a table or in a Zoom call and one of the co-founders is rolling eyes while the other is talking. Uh, as the most obvious problem of uh, uh, um, most obvious symptom of problems, then uh, this one thing can scare away potential investors. So, in my opinion, it's important to keep the relationships in check, uh, to work on improving them, and uh, this is why today's workshop is about relationships. The relationship problems. Now, speaking about the reasons, um, they can be uh, looked at uh, twofold. One is we can think about uh, what is happening between us, uh, for example, me and Christo as two co-founders in Cocoon. And another perspective that we can take is the internal one, how I, as a person, am creating everything around me, including in the relationships. So today I'm going to talk about the second, which is the internal part. And that means that mostly the focus will be about me as a person, you as a person, rather than how you are clicking together. Uh, Because it always starts with myself. And when me, myself is in a better shape, then it moves to the next thing, how we as a team are clicking together. So today's workshop is mostly about the personal level of the challenges. And I will talk about four parts, how the relationship uh, problems uh, come about. Um, And those parts are, so first I will talk about repression and internalization. I will explain what those terms means and how they happen. So this is just a brief recap now. Then about projections, how we project the repressed and internalized parts onto others. Then how it triggers defenses, And then how those defenses start ruining the relationships. So this is the frame of the workshop, how we are going to uh, talk about today. But before I get into those uh, depth levels, I want to point out one thing. And this comes from, uh, I was uh, going through this uh, workshop uh, with my colleague Trin, couple of days ago, and uh, she said, yeah, yeah, all fine, but uh, uh, this could uh, kind of scare someone or make the, feel, give the feeling that uh, someone is totally defective, and uh, I agree that this is not the message here, so uh, thank you, Trin, for reminding this, that we always need to remember that any inner work and change work, first of all, starts with acceptance, so whatever you are going to hear today, and as a result, think Uh, about yourself, and maybe also others, please always keep in mind the thought number one, that you are okay. And everything that uh, you can do is uh, self-development work, but it is not uh, taking something absolutely broken and doing something with it. It's absolutely not like that. So please always uh, start all the inner work from this position that I am okay. All right, let's start with the repression. Um, I will use myself as an example and in this picture this is me uh, a few years ago or many years ago so uh, I lived in a countryside in Latvia and uh, my uh, one of my parents uh, is a Uzbek so I was there uh, the only uh, Asian looking person in the whole neighborhood uh, the result of it was that I experienced uh, quite serious bullying and mocking at school, uh, especially in the first uh, classes, the primary school. And uh, it was mostly for my looks, not mostly, it was 100% for my looks, uh, which other, what other kids could not accept. And what it created as a result was, first of all, um, emotional pain, which I felt, and second, uh, shame. And the shame was about uh, two things. One was about how I looked and second was about uh, being shamed. What happened next is that I totally repressed this whole experience and my awareness of me being partially Uzbek and Asian. So I took this uh, core nucleus, which is my identity, uh, me being Asian and Uzbek. On top of it, the layer of pain that I experienced because of mocking on top of it, the shame And I repressed it in my psyche, not to feel it again, till approximately age of 33, which created all kinds of very weird consequences. By the way, I'm now 39. So this is a practical uh, example of repression from my own experience. And now if I look at it uh, um, graphically, then what happens in the repression process is that when we are children, we get a painful experience. We are too young to live through it, to process it. Therefore, what happens next is we encapsulate it in the layer of shame. And then we hide it all from subconscious. So this picture gives this analogy that uh, this, this construction is, uh, is down below the water. And why we get hurt? Why is there this uh, pain uh, which a kid is not able to, uh, to process through? Is because we care. So therefore, I want to stress that it is okay to feel hurt and it is okay not to be able to process it uh, when we are children. So about those experiences, which can be painful experiences, it is not only such obvious things like bullying at school. It can be also more subtle. For example, uh, need to be nurtured. I'll give one example about need to be nurtured. Um, Let's imagine a boy. Uh, he's uh, running on the street, he falls, and he severely injures his knee, or not severely, whatever, he just injures his knee, there's blood, and now he runs to home, to his father, uh, crying, daddy, daddy, and what he hears back is, hey, you don't be a cry boy, get yourself together. And what this experience creates for the boy is that uh, the need to be nurtured is uh, immediately uh, associated with feeling emotional pain and shame and repressed therefore such a person in the future will not uh, will try not to express any uh, need to be nurtured or this neediness uh, the negative word may be here so these are couple experiences from quite uh, obvious to more subtle one about uh, childhood experiences and now is the time to go to a practical uh, experience together. So we just went through how the repression takes place. Now let's look at second case, which is internalization. And I, again, will use an example from my childhood. Um, When I was a small kid, I had a nanny and uh, she was uh, responsible for my upbringing, let's call it so. Uh, from the age of five till the age of 11, approximately. And she had many positive uh, traits, uh, but also she had uh, two things uh, which I wouldn't call uh, positive. One was perfectionist, crazy perfectionism. And second was dramatizing, um, severely dramatizing whatever was happening or going to happen. And um, as uh, as a result, those who know me, They also know that I am perfectionist and I am, uh, to some extent, dramatizer. Now, maybe less, but uh, 10 years ago, definitely more. So this is an example of uh, internalization, but what's the process here? The process is such that in the childhood, we have uh, caretakers, people who take care of us, primary caretakers, uh, parents for some grandparents, nannies, uh, uh, teachers in the first grades, and uh, we identify with those people. Uh, then what happens? We take in their image in our, in our psyche as part of ourselves, but not only their image, the way how they are, but also their way of relating with us. So what I did, I took uh, this Nanny's image as part of myself and the part how she was relating to me continued to live inside of me as uh, her relating with me, but inside me. What happens next is that this part of her and her relationship to me, it has become part of me, but with time I forget the the source. And again, it sinks deep into subconscious. And I have forgotten where it comes from. I have forgotten that this is not me, but uh, I still continue the internal relationship with myself, in a similar fashion that the nanny did with me. So this might sound a bit uh, complex. So I will repeat again. I identify with the caretaker, take in his or her image, plus the way she or he relates to me. I start to relate to myself in the same way. I forget the source. And then I think it's just me being like this. And also if, this caretaker behaved with me and related with me in a perceived negative way, so harsh, dramatizing, whatever, then this is this pressure inside of me, this war, inner war that is taking place in me, which I cannot consciously perceive, but it is still there and and it creates all kinds of symptoms. So this is an example of internalization. And now we are going to collaborate for the second time, Uh, There will be not so many other collaborations, but now the collaboration will work the following way, that uh, Christo will move us into breakout rooms. Uh, We will be in smaller groups. And in those groups, uh, those of you who feel that you can, I invite you to share with the group uh, an example from your childhood. Uh, Was there one of the primary close caretakers Uh, whose character traits you can now see feel in yourself just this sharing this with other people can help to make it already more conscious how it's happening inside of you so the question is in my childhood who was the caretaker who was behaving in a certain way how i'm now behaving to myself or to others okay welcome back to the main room I hope uh, you experienced at least to some extent, openness and vulnerability, because that is part of the solution. Uh, But about solutions, we will talk after a second, not a second, but a while. But now, so what I covered is repression and internalization. And now let's go to the next step, which is projection. To me, the most interesting one. And for projection, I will, share with you three mechanisms how it's happening. So uh, about projections, uh, First, how we project the repressed part. Remember, I told you about this example, a boy who was on the street and injured the knee and then experienced this uh, aggressive reaction from the father. So what happens is that uh, such a person represses the need to be nurtured, or negatively called neediness. And what now happens in his life when he's an adult, that when he feels the slightest symptom of neediness in another person, uh, then as a next step, automatically, he projects this repressed part from himself onto the other person. And uh, this uh, image that he feels, sees through his, uh, not visualized but feels, uh, creates unbearable tension because it now pokes in this shame in this layer of shame and this then creates the next step which is defense so we use other person when we can catch at the slightest uh, slightest symptom of something that we have repressed and denied about ourselves this we use to project our content on the other person and then to get defensive about it Um, The other way how we project onto other people is that we project those internalized images. Again, I spoke about this nanny, the dramatizing and perfectionist person. Now, here is a bit more interesting uh, scenario happening. If someone uh, dramatizes towards me, even slightly, what happens is that I project this Nanny's image onto the other person, Nanny's identity. And then I tune up the volume by hearing Nanny's voice back to me, not in the tone of her voice, but this, this inner voice that has been become part of myself. Therefore, the person says fly. I hear elephant. And uh, this creates all kinds of these disproportionate reactions in people. So projecting, The internalized image onto other people is the second and more interesting aspect of projections but the third is the weirdest one I'd say Uh, and here I used I I was looking for a slide actually which could be a theater with this grandfather and grandson I couldn't find a good image but the idea that is that um, I will I will again tell an example Uh, my grandfather was uh, very uh, diligent and uh, decent uh, men and honorable men. Uh, but on the, let's say, shadow side, he was also too much hardworking. And uh, he expected that from everyone else around him as well, including me. When I was a kid, um, there were times when I wanted to play. I wasn't allowed to play. I had to go and work in the farm. And I, if I didn't work in the farm, I got punished for it. So what it created for me was the unresolved setup, time bomb for the future called that I cannot do what I want because me as a kid, I wasn't allowed to do what I want. So now what happens in my current life? I take this unresolved setup and I subconsciously, of course, try to resolve it in my current adult life. But this creates very weird situation because what happens is that I take current situations in life, people in life around me, particularly in my case with this example, uh, one of my business partners in, in, in our um, uh, group of companies. And um, then I project onto this business partner, this whole unresolved setup. Therefore, whenever there are the slightest rules where I don't see the immediate value for me, this creates in me the feeling of anger and wanting to fight. Because this is the child wanting to fight until the grandfather finally says, okay, you can play. I love you the way you are. I accept you. So what it means is that we use current people around us to project on them this unresolved setup from childhood and to recreate it as a theater play to relieve the past with the childish hope to resolve the past. Uh, that's why there is this saying that sooner or later everyone needs to let go hopes for a happy childhood so I shared with you those three mechanisms how projection works, one is we project the repressed part this pain and uh, the experience pain and shame, second we do project the internalized uh, caretaker image and relationship he or she had with us and third we project this unresolved setup from the past onto current situations. And I think this third one is uh, maybe not at all easy to pinpoint in our life, but what can hint to it is uh, when we are in the reversal, when we are the one onto whom it's projected, then maybe you've been in situations when someone close to you uh, talks to you or acts to you in suddenly very weird way and you you don't understand like why, what's happening, (laughs) how, so this can be this kind of situation so we talked about projections next what this projection does this projection uh, makes us to touch the surface of the shame that's hidden uh, from the consciousness and uh, this uh, calls up defenses uh, speaking about defenses in childhood, there are no defenses, in my opinion, there are coping mechanisms, be- mechanisms because we need to cope with the for some quite severe environment where we live. So therefore, there's nothing bad related to it. What was once a coping mechanism in adulthood becomes a defense mechanism, and it is a way to avoid feeling this shame and pain. But in our adulthood it is also the means through which we go and ruin the relationships in our lives. And uh, with defenses we learn them. We learn them from our caretakers again. This is not something that we invent. When we are kids we observe what the parents do, what the teachers do, what others around do and we start to imitate and uh, recreate it. And I will share with you some uh, frequent uh, defense mechanisms um, so that you might become more conscious about them. The first one is obvious. It's anger. When I see a mirror in front of me, a projected mirror, my reaction is anger or slight, slightest version of it is irritation or the extreme version is rage. It's when someone can blow up um, because it's an attack and attack is defense. Don't touch my shame. Um, second uh, mechanism is uh, blame. Uh, imagine, for example, I'm... Uh, cooking pancakes, I go to another room, but in the kitchen is my girlfriend. I come back and the pancake is uh, burned. Uh, so uh, uh, blame transfer would be me starting to yell at her, like, why didn't you call me and tell that the pancakes are burning? Then uh, the third one is uh, interesting. It's weak link position. I defend uh, by pretending to be so weak, either physically or uh, Today, I'm so tired or sad, don't touch me. That also can be used as a defense mechanism. Uh, Fourth is uh, a bit undercover defense mechanism and a long-term one, and this is called control. It is when we try to create such a power structure around us where others are not in a position to point, to shame us, to point at us. So to be a CEO in a way uh, if one is not creating an open environment uh, where the, the deficiencies are brought up, is this way of uh, defense mechanism, can be. Also perfectionism, because then we can create, uh, try to create uh, such an uh, artificial image of being so perfect that there's nothing to point uh, to and to be ashamed of. So with defense mechanisms, it's so that it is okay to use them, but when they're conscious, meaning that when I perceive a threat i think do i need to defend myself then i make a choice and then i act upon the choice but if it's unconscious and automatic then it's not the way to go because then this is the part which starts to create and ruin the relationships so this is uh, about the the how this is happening in short so what i talked about was that we ruin the relationships from the internal side first by the repression and internalization in the childhood, then what follows is we project this uh, on other people around us in our lives. And third, we defend against, against what? Against our own content that the other person is mirroring to us or the situation is mirroring to us. And then this defense is what creates relationship tensions. Now uh, we are going to show you uh, some uh, solutions. One will be very quick, uh, just a walkthrough, but then two two ones we will do demos together with Christo. But about the solutions, what I want to tell you is that there are no uh, miracles and you should not expect uh, uh, miracles in the form that uh, something will dramatically change uh, by doing something for an hour and then whole life is turned upside down. Usually this is uh, work and it is a long-term work. And the progress can be like this with the upside trend of course but this is uh, long-term work so um, we will start with uh, looking at defenses then uh, together with Christo talk about using mirrors and then uh, we'll also share a how clearing uh, takes place so first of all about uh, defenses as I said it's okay that they are conscious so what we need to do is we need to make uh, defenses conscious. And the way to do it is, uh, first is the analysis part, and then is the, 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 the monitoring part. About analysis, there are three questions uh, or three uh, tasks that you can do. First of all, uh, journal. What are the defenses that your parents use? Because you learn majority of your defenses from your parents. So you can also talk with your sisters brothers uh, and write for yourself what are the defenses that parents use second what are the defenses uh, in others or just ways of acting in others that irritate you and finally ask others what are your defenses so through this you can compile a list of the defenses that uh, are present in you and then what's the next step is you pick one of those the one which you think or feel you are struggling the most with and uh, take a task for a month to monitor when you are using this defense. You can also ask others to point to you. Okay. Now you are using anger as a defense, or now you're using weakling as a defense or any other uh, method, because the, the ones I shared with you are not the old. These were examples only. So analyze, make a list and then take a, one defense per month approximately and monitor every time when you act this way so as to bring it to your consciousness. This way you will be able to start to stop defense before it goes out. You will train yourself to, to become able to do that. And then the next step is to do mirror work. With the mirror work, uh, the idea is that uh, what we do, we bring out the those repressed and internalized parts. And uh, this is the best to do when you register anger or other defense in yourself so it can be irritation or whatever when you are engaging with other person and then instead of uh talking to that other person or even worse lashing out on him or her use this energy inwards to do this mirror exercise now we will do demo together with Christo but it doesn't mean that this needs to be done in two people team this you can perfectly do alone with your journal and this is how it's usually actually also done so um, I, I invite now Christo to also switch on mic. We will go through a demo and then I will explain what we just did. Okay. So uh, Christo, uh, I would like to you to use me as a mirror, mirror and uh, reflect uh, when was the time when you felt tension or irritation or any these uh, red feelings with me. And uh, can you assign a label maybe you can with a sentence explain what was this behavior of mine and then put a label on it
2: mm, yes I, I hope and i am well heard uh, the the sentence uh, of the action is that uh, when arguing then listening only the words and not feelings beneath it uh, for for me the labels for for such an behavior is uh, being defensive and uh, arrogant.
0: Okay, thank you. And uh, now I ask you to identify how you live this label by yourself, either to yourself or to others.
2: Mm, yes, so it is easier to notice where I'm doing it with others and uh, the exact copy of this uh, behavior is when i'm uh, having any argument uh, with my girlfriend and when i'm sensing something that she's bringing to me on the feelings level which i do not like then i very fast opt onto the onto the words level and just using arguments in order to kind of win this this battle which actually, I do know that makes both of us feel bad, and we are not moving forward with that, but uh, but it still think that i'm I'm doing definitely.
0: Okay., um, Christo, in practice, uh, you would go and bring up more examples now to save time. We will move to the next step. and next step is now when you look on me, On the label that you assigned to me and the the behaviors that you described, uh, what uh, is the feeling or feelings uh, down beneath it all? Uh,
2: What I have uh, detected and the the very beneath of it all is the the kind of belief that uh, I am worthless and then there is a need to hide it from everyone else. Then with the fences, I can hide it so others won't see it.
0: Okay, thank you. And now, question to you—not uh, objectively, but to you subjectively—what is opposite? What would be opposite feeling for this? What you just shared?
2: For for me, the opposite feeling is uh, feeling that I'm good and valuable with my shortcomings. Meaning, the way I, I am is good.
0: Okay. Is there anything else?
2: Yes, it's uh, also the, the general feeling that uh, people are good and, uh, and you can be open with them because we all have our own challenges.
0: Okay. Now, can you share what are opposite thoughts and actions that would stem out from this feeling that you just shared with me? Th- this opposite feeling, what would be opposite actions and uh, ways of doing and being?
2: Uh, one very generally is being uh, defenseless Uh, and uh, how to act it out is to take in the the feedback that others give you. Also to share the information about yourself and whatever you do freely, not not to hide it. And and from that, uh, the understanding comes that actually it is okay to do it. Nothing bad happens.
0: Okay, Christo, and uh, is there one, at least one action that you can uh, undertake, commit to follow as a result of this? Uh,
2: yes, one very actionable thing is to add people, uh, PCCs to my emails, to get feedback about uh, my communication, how I present myself, to be open with it, and this I can commit on, uh, on doing.
0: All right, thank you, Christo. So this was uh, an example of uh, going through a mirror exercise using uh, arrogant answers as an example to go through and analyze. So to, to go now through the structure, what we just did first, uh, first is the impulse. We, we acknowledge there's a tension with someone, but then the second thing is we assign a label or several labels to this person. Usually they're in the form of adjectives and they tell what, what is it that you don't like about him or her? For example, arrogant or chaotic or unreliable or pretentious. Uh, then third is you think and identify how you live out this label in your life. And there can be two directions. One is how you live it to yourself. Another direction or other list is how you live it to others. And then the next step is you look at this other person, the label and your list and your Try to feel what is the feeling or feelings beneath it all. Something might come up, something might not. Ideally, something will come up. Then you just write down and identify what is this feeling. Then the next step is you ask what is the opposite feeling to the one that you just got. And then the final step is what are the opposite ways of acting and being to this feeling and the original label that you assigned. But then now comes uh, the, the important part, that uh, after you have uh, done this analysis, this is just the mind level, you have understood something. But next is the change level, you need to work. And the actual work is what I asked Tristo, is to undertake something very practical that you can do every day or at least every week. Or you track a habit, a new habit that you undertake to follow every day. And then you really work on tracking this habit or this action and implementing this in your life, because this way how you change. This this is the way how you bring up these uh, repressed and internalized parts and become more whole and conscious. Now, this was about understanding yourself better. But uh, as I said uh, slightly, we will still touch the interpersonal, the person to person part here. Therefore. I'm going to also talk about clearing and uh, clearing is a way to connect with other people uh, with the close ones around you also to confront constructively uh, and to learn to be defenseless. So these are all the things that we want and need. Uh, Now, again, we will do a demo with Christo uh, and then I will explain what it is and how it works. So, uh, Christo, can we start with you, please? Uh, Could you share what is not working for you in our relationship, in our business, maybe also in your life? The call is Uh, recorded.
2: Yes, thanks for asking. So, uh, in our relationship, what is definitely not working is uh, working from the distance. Uh, With all the COVID restrictions uh, being in uh, different cities, uh, there is a lack of outside work conversations and uh, and just spending time together. Uh, what is also not working in, in the relationship part is that I find myself often comparing myself to you. And this uh, creates tensions because comparing is never a healthy, healthy way to, to do anything. Uh, from the business side, uh, what is not working right now is that... Uh, There is a lot of slack uh, messaging between uh, clients, uh, mentors, team and group. So this gets uh, overwhelming uh, sometimes. Thank you. Uh, Ainzis, what is not working for you in our business and in our relationship?
0: Thank you. So uh, I will start in the relationship. I feel that uh, in you I perceive the kid in myself, the child in myself. And uh, that uh, sometimes uh, makes me irritated when communicated, communicating with you because this is this uh, mirror image that I get. So this is one thing. Uh, also, I shared this sentiment with you that uh, remote work is not working, uh, me- meaning that not uh, being able to go and play squash together and have a drink together and have meetings in, in physical presence. But this is going to change very soon as I got the second vaccine shot yesterday. So these are the things that are not working in the relationship and uh, in the business. What is not working is that uh, I think we are now on this uh, phase where things are taking off. Uh, We get uh, many new opportunities uh, every week, I would say. And uh, I have not yet managed to rearrange my way of uh, perceiving things and working things uh, and therefore for the last three or four weeks i feel like running after a train which is uh, picking up speed while i should be in the cabin and driving the train not running after it so uh, yes i'm clear Uh, Christo, what is working for you in our business and in our relationship and in your life
2: Thank you. Uh, In our business, uh, what is working for me is definitely the the effort that we are putting into the business that I can uh, sense and see every day and uh, it feels empowering, I can say. Then uh, from the business side also is working that uh, our clients are trusting us more and more. So great outcomes come from the program. Companies growing 12 times, uh, big teams joining. So this this is definitely working. Uh, From the personal relationship side, uh, I can bring out two things. One is that uh, we can argue without later dragging it along. So we can argue things and confront each other and still work together. And uh, from that, uh, the main thing that is working for me is uh, I know that you care about me as a friend not only as a, as a co-worker or a co-founder. So that's for me. Uh, Einzis, what is working for you in our business and uh, in our relationship? Uh,
0: thanks. Thank you, Christo. So in business, what is working is the fact that the train is uh, picking up the speed. Uh, this I like. I mean, uh, new opportunities coming in and more and more clients joining. Uh, this feels good. And uh, this gives this uh, positive level of stress. To also develop, uh, also on the professional level, all the time. This works. Uh, what else works? Uh, this uh, somehow the trend in couple past months that uh, opportunities are coming in. I'm, I mean, not only from the new client side, but just collaboration opportunities or co-partnering opportunities. This is great. Um, and in our relationship, uh, I think the the main part which I like is that. Uh, when but this mostly happens when we uh, somehow zoom doesn't work. It's either phone call or when we meet in person that uh, when we talk, then uh, we suddenly uncover new either new ways how to look at things much better ways or new ideas. So these are usually always very fruitful conversations and feels very good. And what also works is that last time when I was in Estonia, before the team event that you invited me to your parents' house and uh, to meet your parents, this also was very good. I'm clear. Thank you, Christo, for the demo. Uh, in practice, there's a third question, but looking at the clock, uh, I need to skip it. Uh, I will um, share this in the structure. So what we did now is uh, we talked, we shared answers to two, and there's third question, but in a very specific environment. And this environment is such that We either when Zoom is Zoom, but uh, if we meet in a room, then ideally we sit uh, opposite and uh, maintain eye contact. And then we talk in turns without interrupting the other, without commenting anything, without asking any clarifying questions. So the clearing conversation is a very certain structure from A to Z, uh, which gives an opportunity to share whatever we feel and think, without being confronted back about it during this particular meeting and the questions are three it's very simple uh, but very powerful first we ask okay there's a mix in order first we ask what does not work for you in our relationship and in our business and in your life and then first person talks, second person talks. If three 3 co-founders do this conversation, then the third person talks. So all, all go through, through the circle. And then there's the second question, which is what does work in your life and in our relationship and in our business? And uh, the third final question is what else? Um, did anything else come up? In our team, we do clearing once a month. I encourage also... You to do it uh, at least uh, once a month and always when uh, you feel that the tensions have accumulated. Um, but uh, maybe it's also good to work with the mirrors exercise before clearing to get a bit more of perspective. So this is uh, main thing that I, main things that I wanted to share with you today. Um, next will be Yair. Before I'm giving the mic to Yair, I want to mention that if. You have got curious to learn more about founders' self discovery, founders' psychology. You can have one free individual session with us. Please write to hi at cocoonprogram.com referring to this workshop, and we will arrange the session with you guys. And now, word to Yair.
1: Yes, thank you, Ansys. Um, I will start sharing my screen then also. Yes and first of all thanks for sharing all those personal stories uh, really interesting Thank you for all training. and i will share my screen now just um for um you guys that uh, were just at the part of ANSI's, if you still want to ask questions go to the miro board maybe um you can share the link again in the board and they can uh, drop questions here on the right side of the last slide and Uh, you can just do that by clicking on the link in the Miro board. All right, so I will make this smaller. Yes. All right, so um, first of all, my name is Jair. I'm a startup program manager at Miro. I have a background uh, working at Airbnb, and before that, I was heading a Startup Accelerator. Um, And uh, today, I got invited by ANSI's to talk a bit about um, collaboration in and in relationships in a hyper growth environment. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about what Miro is. So Miro is an online collaborative whiteboarding platform. Yeah, but what does that mean? So we all had um, a lot of paper back in the days. We used a lot of paper um, and now everybody is using uh, online documents. Um, we used to send a lot of mail, real mail, and now we all use email. Um, we used to uh, have a water cooler and currently we have chat uh, programs. And what about whiteboards? We used to have whiteboards and now we use Miro. So you can see Miro like a whiteboard on steroids. And like I said, it's online and um, it's collaborative. We can all work together on um, the board at the same time. One second, Chriso, could you maybe make me um, uh, no, not a co-host anymore because I get all the beeps from people entering and leaving. Thanks. Um, so it's a collaborative whiteboard. We're working on it together. Um, a whiteboard means that it is, has endless possibilities. I can draw on the board. I can put stickies on the board. I can also um, put templates on the board. For example, US founders might want to develop a new Um, uh, product, you can do a product roadmap, you can do um, wireframing, you can work agile on on Miro, there's more than 500 uh, 500 templates that you can use. And it's a platform, and the platform means that we have a lot of integrations, over 100 integration, and all the tools that you are using are integrated on Miro. This means that, for example, we have integration with G Suite, with Airtable, with... um, uh, Asana, uh, with uh, Hopin, with all the things that you're using uh, Monday, uh, there will be an integration for you to make really middle your launchpad. That's enough about uh, the product right now. We'll come back uh, at the end to give you the opportunity to also uh, get some credit in Miro. um But as Ansys asked me was, could you please tell a bit about um, collaboration and relationships in an Hyper growth environment. So these are some numbers of middle right now. So we had in 2020 and March 1st, we had 3.7 users, 3.7 million users. And today we have over 15 million. This is close to 20 million right now, actually. And in January of 2020, we had uh, 240 employees. And today we have 800 plus employees. So definitely you can talk about hyper growth and and, and research showed recently that we are the fastest growing app in the world after Amazon. So um, it's definitely a hyper growth environment. Um, so let me then go to this part. So what I feel is that, uh, and I definitely don't, I'm not the holder of the truth. So I'm also curious to learn what you guys uh, feel as founders. But what I s- feel is that uh, really the startup uh, culture dictates your collaboration. So uh, your culture will decide who you hire, what type of communication collaboration style is desired, what the expected behavior is. And especially when things are changing really quickly and this could be a good thing and if you're in hypergrowth, but also if you're in a pandemic, the only thing that you really have that you can fall back on is the culture because uh, yeah, people are not um, um, certain of their environment and if you have a strong culture, they have something to fall back on. So for me, I really like to approach collaboration from, uh, and relationships from a cultural perspective. Um, I also would say that in hypergrowth, it would be really strange if you don't get any friction or misalignment, this is just um, you know, uh, a result of hypergrowth. And when people are misaligned with the company direction this result in a reduction of engagement. And for a traditional established company uh, where everything is already stable, And settled, um, it's not such a problem because they know what the long-term direction is. However, for a startup that is growing fast, people need to be informed because the the company pivots quickly. So it's crucial that everybody is informed. And I think having miscommunication doesn't have to be a big deal um, when there is a concept of psychological safety present. So I think this touches upon a little bit also what uh, Ansi said. And for me, psychological safety is really important to have this in a company. Um, And uh, I would explain it like this. Um, Psychological safety is the experience of whether or not people feel that they could speak up, ask for help, offer an ID, or in other words, the belief that you won't be punished when you make a mistake and when people can be themselves. So they can be their best at work. And without having this space, it's really hard to be yourself and it's impossible to form a team. And I think that ties in back to what Ansi says. First, you need to be yourself, reflect on yourself and be able to be vulnerable before you can connect with other people around you. Also, for a startup, it's uh, really uh, important uh, to sometimes be risk taking, creative and assertive. And if you don't have the psychological safety, this will be a problem. So... Uh, I would really f- see this as the foundation of having good relationships. And uh, I think as a founder, this is also your job to focus on this. So um, these are some collaborational challenges that you might face specifically also in a hyper growth um, situation. There's um, no trust because there's so many new people um, that enter the company. And you don't—you never met them in real life, uh, so yeah. Why should I trust this person? Also, you have the concept of the barbarians—the first early hires that live in the complete uh, startup vibe—and there were no rules, and every everything was possible. And then you have the newcomers, the bureaucrats that come in from uh, bigger companies to make sure that this growth is going in the right direction. So this is a challenge that um, hyper-growth companies face. Uh, they need to uh, be aware that there are different. Um, types of um, people that are long versus old uh, in their company. Uh, also, there's a challenge that if you're in HyperCode that you cannot miss anything because it goes so quickly that you always have to be online. Um, and yeah, this is, uh, can be also difficult for relationships. And then and the last thing is that I, I encountered was that um, the input versus output focused um, orientated people in an hyper-growth um, or uh, environment. There's probably way more. Uh, this is some that I encountered and I would like to ask the people that are on the board and maybe some more people could join, I see 10 people to um, give your input on how would you improve employee collaboration in hyper-growth? So curious to learn how you guys would do this and will give us uh, two minutes to work on this and make sure that you follow me on the screen i will bring you to me and i would be would be awesome if you guys could give your opinion how would you improve employee collaboration in hypergrowth okay then i will continue with um tactics that i see that would be a good idea and again i'm not the holder of the truth it's also uh hi- hyper is for me as well new, so i'm here to learn with you guys as well So first of all, I would say it starts with hiring the right people. And that sounds maybe easy and I'll make sure to bring everybody to me. It sounds quite easy. Uh, However, it is also, um, yeah, your most valuable asset is your people. And it's really, really easy to break your company with the wrong people in uh, uh, that you hire. So what I would say is um, don't, don't stand too much still at the technical skills, but really focus on, the core value interview. So um, as an example at Airbnb and at Miro, they do like two rounds on um, only core values and the people don't even know for which role you are applying. This means that they just want to know if you have a good fit um, considering the vision and the values of the company. And this means that when friction occurs so that there's problems, if people still have the same core values, you have a way easier uh, way to get out of it when people might be really, really uh, yeah, skilled, but don't have the same values. And it's quite hard to get out of a, a, a relationship trouble. So I would say f- really focus on these core values. And again, make sure that you also get an f- understanding of this person. Um, will this person in your company be able to create this psychological safety that you need to let your employees speak up openly and be themselves. I think that's really important. Then of course, lead by example. Most of you are founders and I think um, it's really important that it is do as I do and not as I say. So nothing is worse than having a leader not living up to uh, the way that they want to have their relationships and um, that their core values are describing collaboration. So make sure that you as a leader um, also Uh, live those core values. This means that if collaboration is one of your core values, for example, don't only collaborate with your executive team, but collaborate with everybody that needs your attention and wants to collaborate with you. Then um, also in hyper growth, um, it might seem quite hard to plan and might seem that it doesn't make sense to have a long-term planning. I would also suggest that you won't have too much of a long-term plan. You can always make a long-term plan, but focus more on the mid to Short term, and make a plan with a little uh, OKRs, maybe three, and make it really simple. So people need some steering, but don't, um, yeah, don't don't put, make it too uh, restrictive for them. So I would really advise this as a leader, and then to the yeah to the companies that are really growing from uh, yeah to a more professionalized business with more processes in place, make sure that the um employees know that the times are changing and that they cannot go back to as it was before and you see that a lot in fast growing companies that like yeah it used to be so great we uh didn't have to ask permission for this and a payment i could just do myself etc that, that's of course great and then it will result in some people leaving but if you're really in hyper growth there's no way that you can really um cherish all the things that you had in your early years so be aware of that and Also take your responsibility as a leader there. Then this is really uh, related to what um, Ansi said, um, make sure that there is a place to um, share vulnerability with each other in uh, in the company. Um, If you are vulnerable towards each other, you make sure that you trust each other more. It's great to have more insights in their background and you will work harder for each other. What uh, we do in our team, we have uh, monthly safe houses, and it, it's copied from the Navy Seals. And that's this is a place where uh, we can speak openly about certain topics, sometimes it's about personal growth, sometimes it's about problems that you had, sometimes it's about just all the fun things that you did in May, if we uh, cannot find a great uh, subject. But it's really for us to connect as a team and make sure that, um, you know, we've we become closer to each other and trust each other more. And it's really great also if you know where your team wants to go to so you can help him or her in her personal growth. And uh, it might be that uh, you can even say like, yeah, by the way, you want to become a mentor. I have a mentor opportunity for you. And they might leave, but at the end, you really want people that that, that can grow personally, in your company I think that would be that's really nice another way to create vulnerability is that um we do this at middle as well everybody new hire um is uh, obliged to write a welcome letter and there's a big repository of everybody the welcome letters and it's, it's a big letter it's not like uh, two paragraphs it's like one or two pages and we tell everything about what you want to share with your colleagues um so it could be your personal story could be more professional story but also uh, there's really personal uh, stories that people share with each other. And before you have a first meeting with someone, they they usually read this welcome letter and it's being pushed out in the general um, Slack uh, group. So everybody has access to it and our founder has one uh, and also all the hires that came after it. So it's a great way to uh, yeah immediately get a better understanding of who you're working with. Then um, prioritize uh, meaningful work. So. I think that um, it's really common in hyper growth to hop from meeting to meeting, and actually hopping from meeting to meeting is really uh, draining, and we have less time for actual work. And I think um, yeah, this uh, yeah this is a quite a problem um, if you are w- evaluating based upon um, input and not on output. And I think that it's always interesting to share that there's an Um, that the most productive people actually have uh, children because they have to take care of somebody else. They don't have time to fool around. And this shows that it doesn't really matter um, how much time you put in it, but it's more what you get out of it and you should do it in your own way. And to prioritize this meaningful work and make sure that people feel more engaged with their job, it's important that you give them the time and not make too much mandatory meetings, but give them some freedom to... Um, you work on really of things that really move the needle, and that could be done like having no meeting days. So uh, on Wednesday we don't have any meetings. Um, you make sure that uh, people really get the time to um, yeah move uh, yeah the work that they need to do. Then related to this is move to this is the synchronous versus asynchronous work. And I think not so long ago most workplaces they thought that communication demanded real-time um, responses. However, studies really shown that this approach is not very practical and um, it sounds maybe counterintuitive because you, um, you, know, you might find it logical that you should always be available to address issues immediately. However, in practice, we see that f- being frequently interrupted uh, really affects our productivity. And this ties into what I just said about prioritizing meaningful work. When I'm constantly interrupted, I'm not able to focus on work that really makes a difference. And by working asynchronously, I can get um, uh, the control back over my workday. And um, what will happen also, if I can think more about my answers, the quality of my information will um, increase, and I have more time to think to different problems and give some more brain power. Also, you need need to be when you work asynchronously, we have to become more um, precise with your communication. And you want to avoid unnecessary back and forth. I really hate those email sessions that you uh, email threads that you just have one thing, one more, one thing, one more. If you take a bit more time and work asynchronously in a great great way, you can send one great email and you're done with the project for maybe a couple of weeks. this means that everybody needs to become a writer. So that is also will improve your uh, collaboration actually. Um, and another thing, if you're working throughout the world, it's it's really nice if you can work um, asynchronously to cover more time zones and, and make it more convenient to work with different time zones. Um, then the next step, next uh, tactic, to be mindful of the introvert. So if you are hiring a lot of people definitely you're going to hire introverts. And um, you need to be really aware that, uh, especially in times that people are sitting behind Zoom, introverts find it quite hard sometimes to be a self-promoter. And this means that it's not so logical for them to speak up. And we have a lot of extroverts that like to speak up and take the, take the stage. So make sure that you it, yeah it really um, identify this and give everybody the same speaking time in the in the in the stand ups and you can work with timers like i just showed on my mirror board so just put a timer on and make sure that everybody gets five minutes to share a bit about um the work or maybe about their weekend whatever is appropriate at time um then i think ansi's touched upon this as well if you have the chance of course to um to um, meet in person, please do so because um, it takes about fifty hours to become casual friends. And ideally, for have good relationships, a good collaboration on your work, you make make sure that you become work friends. And fifty hours um, is in real life. I think there's no study done yet on how much hours this means in Zoom, but I can imagine that it's like times ten. So maybe five hundred hours to become casual friends on uh, on an via zoom and um, so if you have the, the, the chance to go for walks or maybe organize some offsites with your team to really be close to each other it will really help because the more often you see somebody that's also how our brain works the more often I see somebody the more I trust this person so um, it's great if you can um, help your um, uh, company by doing this then Review your collaboration. So um, I think the, um, you need to do this really bottom up. So make sure that you have regular pulses. Like once a month, you do a pulse on how is the collaboration going, um, with your manager, with your team. And then this way you create also buy-in to make sure that people are still aligned with the way that you're collaborating. And if you're in hyper-growth, this changes quite quickly. I already noticed in the middle that, um, yeah, we, we had like, for example, regular uh, coffee chats every day and in the beginning everybody was pre- present and then all of a sudden it was only like two and now there's almost nobody coming anymore uh, because it just became a burden so we need to review how you want to connect how you want to collaborate with each other then um, the, coming to the end also of course um, get the right tools in place um, anybody in ID who wrote this quote can take a sticky or put it uh, yeah i don't think the chat is on but if somebody knows it please take a sticky and give the answer and if nobody knows it's also fine do i see somebody don't see somebody so i will give the answer the, it came from uh, abraham lincoln and i think that um we all have maybe some money um, that we're not spending on rent, so maybe invested in some great tools. Um, yeah, of course, you need to have uh, great uh, video communication tools. Mart also make sure that you have a nice repository where you have all the documents nicely aligned. And G Suite can be quite overwhelming. Think of like Notion, et cetera. And of course, we would love you to also use middle where you can work synchronously and asynchronously easily to collaborate and um, yeah, work on your relationships with your colleagues. That brings me to the end. So, as I said, I'm heading the Miro startup program and you can go to miro.com slash startups and you will be able to um, apply and get thousand dollars in credit as a founder if your startup is not older than five years. Um, and we also have our own community. So our next event is quite similar to what we did here. However, it's gonna be a little more, um, yeah, I don't know actually, but it could be more practical in the sense that Um, It works on um, common team frictions and speed up the creative process. I didn't see the training yet, but I invite you guys if you're interested to join us here as well with our partner Triggers. Also, we have Ask Me Anything sessions. So you can go talk with the Miro startup team about Miro, about your startup, or about everything that you want us to to ask us. And please connect with me on LinkedIn if you want to stay in touch. Um, So what I would like to ask you now again, is ah, Abe Lincoln, okay, there was somebody after I gave the answer, it's smart. Let's um, move over to the question board and we got some questions, at nice. And please add more questions if you need and then I will bring everybody again to the question and I will take a look here. Maybe um, I give the word first to, uh, yeah, I'm gonna give the word to uh, Hansi, it's probably the most questions are about his piece.
0: Yes, and yeah, thank you. This okay. was interesting. Listen with interest. Um, I uh, briefly scanned over. There are some comments uh, respecting the clock. Uh, I will primarily look at the questions first. Uh, this doesn't mean that the comments are not relevant just uh, to add something to someone who's been asking. So what I see as the first question is any tips, how to take in criticism and feedback. So from the question, I would assume that uh, the situation could be such that uh, someone uh, gives me criticism on uh, most probably my outcomes or my behavior or my input, and uh, this is something that I cannot stand. So this is uh, not a good position to be in because uh, with time, uh, we might get the result, get less and less feedback, and this would hamper our growth possibilities. So... What happens here is if I get feedback and if I feel bad, that means that this touches some shame in me. And uh, the best way would be to do nothing. What I mean with that is that not react in any way. So I get feedback that causes me to feel um, simply saying pain then to sit with this pain and let it wave through. And that is the very simple answer. This uh, unpleasant feeling, if I do not start to wallow in it or start to get defensive by thinking why the comment giver is such and such, this will pass quite quickly. And this also feels like a bit of cold shower. You go in the cold shower, first seconds are very unpleasant initially, but then it, uh, it, it, it becomes well and it serves you well as well. Yeah, maybe you can look which question is for you and pick the next one.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's for me. Uh, I, I find it hard. I, uh, I see there's one. Uh, there's one on which company did you enjoy the most working? Top, top three and reasons why. Um, yeah, for me, uh, I think um, I think it hard hard to choose between a uh, middle and uh, and Airbnb. I think they both had great great culture and a great people, um, so that would be mm-hmm. my uh, yeah my my um, shared number one. Um, and then I worked for the government, and there the culture wasn't that great, so um, that definitely comes in uh, uh, on the third place. Mm-hmm and then i think
0: there's one uh, comment on which i want to comment uh, which is if you find a social predator inside yourself kill it um the idea is that uh, you can yes you can kill something in yourself but uh, i think it's not a healthy approach the healthy approach is to transmute something because uh, social predator may be someone who picks onto others and is uh, someone is with this, this uh, negative attitude around all the time. Because if you kill something inside of you, then what it means is that part of you remains uh, with you forever dead. This is... Um, One analogy is that um, in analysis of the book, uh, Little Prince, uh, the prince had, if I remember correct, three volcanoes on his uh, small planet. And one of those volcanoes was dead. And the symbolism of this dead volcano was that uh, he had uh, killed his feeling function because the author, when he was a child, his brother died. And that killed part of his feeling ability. And this volcano was symbolizing this killed part of the person. Any more questions? Maybe through also you can uh, switch on the microphone and just ask as we still have a couple more minutes. Okay, then I have a question to you, Yair. So I see that uh, this uh, growth uh, for Miro has been really like steep. Uh, that means that uh, if it keeps like that, then after a year or two, you will be already a few thousand uh, people company. Uh, how do the people feel about that? Meaning that isn't there fear that this might turn out to be now into a bureaucratic company, and we lose our culture? That uh, and the growth kills the the vibe.
1: Mm-hmm. How- yeah, it definitely, will be at some point inevitable that some people will uh, will have, uh, uh, have will want to go back to that. Uh, yeah, back in the daytime. time. I think I, I noticed that at Airbnb as well. There were a lot of people complaining about there's so much processes, etc. And I think that um, there's just at some point in time that you need to take us to switch to another company if you really want a startup culture. It's just not sustainable to, uh, yeah, if you need to keep growing right so then in that sense um if you go through a hyper growth it will be uh, intensified and um people will leave and i think that's also great because you just have different challenges and it's quite clear what the yeah, what what the culture and the mission is it won't change that much anymore so uh, it will be yeah quite obvious what what people expect there so they they expect different type of people so i think um Definitely will come at some point, yeah.
0: Okay. Then I can conclude that uh, also keeping in mind what we are creating, where it it will lead. So so that the vision, both same as the purpose, is aligned with the founders. And as a result, then with the team. But now our time of this uh, workshop and meeting has come to end. I thank you very much, everyone who participated was uh, good to see many familiar faces and uh, i hope uh, many more will become familiar uh, thank you yair for joining us today thank you christo for uh, being together and uh, my colleagues for supporting uh, thank you and have a great evening